Hey everyone, Christian here. As you can tell, this episode is about grief. I want to briefly address the deaths of Audrey Mott, Breonna Taylor, and Gregory Floyd. As a black man, this is a tough time for the black community. It has been a time for me really wrestling with my thoughts of how to feel about this. I feel numb at times. I feel overwhelmed at times. And I feel mainly for my brothers and sisters who are really feeling this deep. We live in a country that was built on the back of black people. That was land stolen from the Native Americans. And ever since the inception of this country, there have been injustices for these people groups, Blacks, Native Americans, minority groups in general in America have been treated poorly. I'm at loss for words. I'm just trusting God who will have the last say. I know that he will direct us as the church on how to do this right. How are we to move forward and how can we address these issues and not sweep them under the rug? So I just wanted to bring that up. This episode is not touching on those recent deaths, Audrey, Brianna, and Gregory. I pray that there's something in this episode, though, that we can apply to this these situations. Enjoy. Welcome to the Faithful Christian Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for a new episode of Faithful Christian. I'm Christian Givens. And today I have with me Anna. And I have Nate Bowen, who has been on a couple of episodes. And this is Anna's first episode. What's up, guys? I'm excited. How are you? I'm excited that you guys are excited. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of excitement going on. We are all quarantined in our homes. So we are recording during COVID-19 mandatory quarantine. I am quarantined from the lovely Prince George's County, Maryland, and Nate and Anna both live in Charlottesville, Virginia. How are you guys feeling right now? I feel appropriately socially distanced. I actually, (laughs) I feel like we all have, you know, the needed space from this distance and yeah, hanging in there. (laughs) Interesting times for sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of tired of being in the house. I miss like just restaurants being open. Mm, the coffee shops, man. I'm missing the coffee, coffee shops, shops and like the bookstores. Yes, I miss all of those things. And I miss being able to like go over a friend's house without them being worried about me being of a carrier of COVID. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I didn't realize all my hobbies are considered non-essential. Like that's kind of right? sad. <laughs> and my barber shop. Oh, no, we're not going to go there. My bad. Oh, my- <laughs> but yeah uh, barber shops uh that's a different kind of grief 
Yeah, yeah. Well, today we are actually going to be talking about grief. And this episode is so essential for one, where I am in my life right now. Um, if you guys have listened to my testimony between the first season and this season, you heard a little bit about what I have been going through with dealing with the loss of my father, who literally passed not even a month before I recorded, I mean, after I recorded that testimony. And not only was I dealing with the loss of my father, um, I also dealt with a lot of loss of relationships that I've had for a very long time, such as childhood friends, teachers that I loved, people from my home church. And these weren't due to death. These were due to church drama. These are due to things that happened in my home church that just got really ugly. Um, I also lost the relationship of siblings in that time. My brother and my sister um, from my dad's first marriage had become very vicious towards us. And I don't want to go into details, but just a lot of false things were put out in very public spaces. And it caused me a lot of harm. It caused me a lot of, yeah, harm. Like, there's no other way of saying it. Like, I just felt really hurt. And I didn't, I, I've, I've been wrestling with trust in the church in general, but I am now at a new church, and it's been a wonderful experience so far. I go to Anacostia River Church. Um, you guys who listened to the episode before this have met Amos Evans, who is actually the musician at my church. And at this new church, I've been able to go through some grief counseling with my pastor, and it's been such a blessing. He's been able to get into the weeds of what's been going on in my life from my home church, dealing with my relationship with my father, which was not perfect. I've mentioned that in my testimony. My father was a very strong personality. He worked a lot when he was healthy. He was a great provider. So, I mean, we didn't want for much, but he was always working. He was always gone. So I really don't think I was as close to my father as I would have liked to be. Like I said, I love my father. He loved me and I knew that. It was never any question of his love for me. But I didn't get the time that I would have liked to have with him. Um, and then, of course, there's some drama that he left us behind with. So there was some hurt on my end towards my father, my relationship with my father. And I wasn't able to really fully heal from those things. So I really haven't even grieved my father's death properly still to this date. We are, what, April now? And my father passed in September. I think I've cried over his death once or twice. And they weren't long, drastic cries. They were just like tears. Like, oh, I miss him. You know, I can truly say I miss my father. I miss his presence. I miss, I miss him. I do miss him dearly. Um, but I'm dealing with how do I, this is something Pastor T told me. How do I deal, reconcile the good parts of my father and the parts of my father that I wrestle with, like the things that I disapprove of, and still allow both to be true and still grieve properly and move forward in healing? So 
that's what I'm dealing with. And I kind of wanted to invite Nate and Anna on just to kind of allow you guys to peer into my life and how I'm healing and what I'm learning. And also to hear from them what they have learned during their times of grief. And, you know, so, yeah. One of the things that stood up from what you were saying is the reminder that grief can be multifaceted um, in the sense that grieving a person, grieving a loss can be not just grieving the person and mm. as far as like them no longer being there, but you're also grieving, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like issues of was there a, a full thriving relationship there? Was there mm. reconciliation in certain areas? It, it sounds like you're also grieving the loss of opportunity mm. for those kinds of oh, things. Yeah. Or grieving for sure, you know, certain relational aspects that weren't right, and like, how do you find yourself wrestling between like grieving the things that were difficult, grieving the things that were happy, you know, grieving the loss of uh, your father, like the multifaceted aspect of it? How do you? It seems like it would be hard to grapple with the, all those things at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I think there is a grief of lost opportunity mm-hmm. with him. One of the last memories I have of my father when he was still able to speak, I mean, I have a lot of memories before he passed, but one of our last times together when he was still speaking before he um, just wasn't really communicating with people was him saying that, hey, when I get out of here, I want to go fishing with you on the beach. And my dad loved fishing. And I didn't go fishing with him enough, you know, like the last time I think we went out was in 2014. We, um, he actually came down to, this is when I was still living in Lynchburg. He came down to Smith Mountain Lake and I went down two days in a row. Like I drove from Lynchburg an hour to Smith Mountain Lake, two mornings in a row to go fishing with him. And it was amazing. It was a great time, but I didn't nearly go. I didn't go nearly enough. You know, the memories I have of us going was, they were always great. They're always Mm -hmm. fun. I wish I would have taken more opportunities when he was so healthy and went on his trips to go with him. I can't, I mean, I, I want to just put it all in his court and be like, you're my father, so you should have made it happen anyway. But I also take my own responsibility for, did you actually put in the work to do it as well? Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. The one time I did cry about my father, I was sitting in my at my desk at work. And this was after we did that event. You guys had that event at um, the Cameroonian Embassy mm-hmm. in D.C. And I was just looking at the pictures from that. And my mom went with us to that event. And my mom doesn't get out with me much. But I was looking at the pictures and I just started crying because I was like, man, I only have one living parent now. And I do not want to miss the opportunities that I miss with my father, with my mother. Mm-hmm. So... I don't even know if that was even a, I can say I was crying over my father as much as I was just crying over lost opportunity. Mm. And I don't want to do the same thing with the one living parent that I do have. I think Nate, um, if I just can jump into, I think Nate really um, put the nail on the head because just over the, the course of my life, the things that I've grieved over, it's like the loss in and of itself has been significant. So I've grieved, you know, a grandparent dying of congestive heart failure and having, you know, being in the room with him as he's passing away. And then 
kind of just, again, relating to Christian over, you know, the last five years, there's been a series of relationships, just really deep, close relationships where, you know, we're both brothers and sisters in Christ and we're just, you know, good family friends. And all of a sudden those relationships are just gone almost overnight. And there's just drama and chaos and conflict. And even a relationship that I had last year with somebody that I thought I was going to marry and um, that just turning out completely different. It's like you feel the absence of that so much, but I think there's also a really deep grief of knowing what could have been or a a recognition of how um, like retrospect things could have, like how things could have been better or how things could have, like you just saying with your dad, how you wish you grieving over things, how things things could have been better between you guys or what you could have done to have that relationship different. Um, and yeah. that's, there's such a poignancy of, and like, it's just goes so deep and it's so painful. I know that feeling very well, <laughs> unfortunately. It's not fun. No, it's, it's not. not. And it, it, it almost, it taps into loneliness too. There's like, for me, just that feeling of, yeah, like, is it something that I could have done? And we go through all of these, like, should I have driven this place or should I have, you know, done this thing or should I have um, not said this thing or. Um, we go over mm-hmm. that course of the what ifs and or the should haves, which is really difficult to <laughs> to face sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I feel like that kind of hits on a question that I had. Is like, how do we deal with our grief, and like, what are healthy and unhealthy ways that we find ourselves yes. dealing with grief? Mm. Um, because I think it's it is it's important to. I think the healthy ways are typically more proactive, right? Like you, you got it takes more work. And then the unhealthy ways are almost like, like neutral, like natural. You just fall into it. And sometimes yeah. it's even hard to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what do you guys think? You know, what, yeah. as you, as you think about different times you've experienced grief, pre- even presently, like, what are healthy and unhealthy ways out with grief? So I actually just pulled a list on this website called goodtherapy.org, a list of <laughs> like forms of unhealthy grief. <laughs> I know that website, yeah. And I was going through it and I was like, man, okay, let's see all, which ones of these I've actually ex- have experienced. Um, so one of them is denial, becoming anxious or depressed, engaging in risky task behavior, such as drinking excessively and driving, compulsive spending and sexual activity or sexually acting out, becoming abusive, a victim or a combination of the two, overeating or undereating, becoming controlling and hoarding. And, okay. Yeah, I've hit a couple of these things. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, yeah. I've definitely have engaged in unhealthy forms of grief in one point or another during the last two years, more frequently or recently in the last couple of months. For me, I think my go-to is anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest one to point out. You know, it's easy to admit those things. The other ones can be kind of harder to admit. Um, I have engaged in some activities that I typically would not engage in. I wouldn't say they're like crazy 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 wild but there are things i typically don't do and 
I recognize now that what I've done was because I was dealing with grief and I'm like, oh, I've contributed this to my my, my grieving process and mm-hmm. I recognize it to be unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And even that has caused me more grief, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. this did not produce fruit in my life. This produced grief because one, mm-hmm. I also hurt other people in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't make things better. Um, it made things a lot more complicated and worse. Mm. So I think that the invitation is to find those healthy ways to grieve. And one form of healthy grief I know is to just allow yourself to feel the pain. Mm. Which is sometimes like the last thing we want to do. I mean, when we're already, I know for (laughs) me, I'm, when I grieve, I almost forget to take into the like the fact I'm like okay I have all these things but I can't think about it so I have to like numb myself so I make myself busy so I'm like the busy person I'm like I don't want to think about this so I'm just gonna fill my time I've got all these things I got to do and I have to help other people and I almost Mm -hmm. I've had to learn that sometimes you have to allow yourself to look full face at what's happened and something that I've God has really taught me is that when I've faced, you know, a relationship dissolving or whatever, um, I'm like, I just have to soldier on and I just can't look at it and I'll just keep going because I got to persevere. I got to be faithful. But I feel like God's had to really teach me that he is the God that heals the brokenhearted. And part of that is acknowledging like, hey, my heart's broken. Or I really, you know, he created us to feel emotions and to know the beauty of having love and having, you know, these relationships. But he's also he gave us an awareness and when that's taken away, like there is a reaction to that. And so part of the healing, like you said, is facing that. And it's, it feels for me, sometimes it's like reversed. Like, I don't, why am I wanting to look at it and get more messier in my emotions or like I already feel out of control, I already feel really chaotic. So why do I have to like acknowledge that? Hmm. But yeah, it's almost like with, think about it with almost with sin, not that it's the same thing, but we can't just make it go away by not looking at it. It's when we acknowledge it and we bring it to God. It's like, okay, God, I can't do this. Like I can't yep. make this sin go away in my life. And it's when we give it to him and when we actually say, you know, I'm not okay, that I feel like that's when the process of healing actually can start beginning. And it's when we're not trying to physically, you know, buffer all of our emotions and things with, um, like distractions and stuff when we're actually just really transparent and say like, okay, God, I don't, don't like this situation. And I don't like necessarily what, you know, this loss has meant, but I, I need you. Um, and that like, that has been something that's been instrumental for me is, um, I got to a point last year where I was having, we had just like every single year we had significant relationships. And then last year was just kind of like, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. So I was having like panic attacks. I was not eating. I was, um, not sleeping. I was really shut down and I ended up, yeah, my sister, (laughs) uh, pulled me, well, basically drove me to a counselor's office. And so I started having counseling, which was like super, super good for me. I really needed that. But it was, I realized that I had to allow things in my mind as a perfectionist to get messy air quotes. Um, so they could heal. Hmm. Um, and that was my first step of like, okay, I have to acknowledge that I cannot do this on my own and I can't in my own strength make things better. 
Yeah. That's good. So what have you found helpful in your counseling sessions? Um, I asked because I have actually been seeing a counselor for five years now. Mm. And that's prior to all of this mess. And I was just, you know, seeing him for my own personal reasons. Yeah. And now I'm learning, oh my goodness, how much of a benefit it is to have someone to be able to speak through certain things with. But I'm curious to hear what you have really learned and what you have been getting from your counselor. Yeah. And it's different because, well, the ironic thing is I'm actually in a degree for counseling. And so part of my, I was like, oh, I don't need counseling. I know all these things, but it's, it's definitely, it's different talking to a counselor than it is even just talking to um, a, a friend and like both have their place and both are good. But I have noticed that it's, it's really helpful to have somebody who is really knowledgeable about grief and anxiety. And, you know, mine manifested also as anxiety and depression. And so part of what I needed Mm -hmm. was I needed to learn how to articulate the things that I was feeling because I'm such, you know, a person that just like, I don't want to tell anybody because I, you know, I want to be strong and I want to be strong for my family and I can't, you know, share these things. I had to learn, um, I had to learn humility. I had to learn how to let people see me cry. I had to learn how to identify emotions because I'm not, I've learned, I'm not good at identifying emotions. Like I'm just, I'll say I'm tired, but I'm actually, I'm sad. Um, and I just have my counselor. One thing that we did was just walk through like, Hey, what do you, you know, you had this reaction. Like I would just, I saw a person that looked like somebody from my past and I just burst into tears randomly in a public place, which was really humiliating, but it was, you know, my, I was reacting to grief. And so she's like, so what is, you know, in that moment, what did you feel? And I had to actually stop and look like kind of self-examine to be like, okay, what did I actually feel in that moment? And so just on like a practical side, I had to actually slow down and stop telling myself that I, you know, didn't need to think about things or I didn't need to really um, feel that I had to give myself permission to feel things which may sound kind of foreign, but I've learned that it's necessary. It's necessary to feel that pain. And sometimes it does take time. Like I'm grieving from things that happened years ago because I didn't, I didn't do it then I didn't stop. And so I'm having, you know, friendships that I'm grieving from just pop up and I'll have memories from, you know, years ago. And it's because now I'm slowing down and I'm, I'm not trying to stop. I'm not trying to, you know, ignore it anymore. And I've also just had to learn how to let God heal places that I try to hide from him because I got so hurt and I didn't know how to, I didn't want him to touch (laughs) because it felt too painful. And so this last year is, yeah, it's been pretty deep going, (laughs) walking with God and learning what does it mean to let, you know, to what it means to have him heal the brokenhearted. And um, it's messy. Grief is messy, but Yeah, it is. It's also, it's beautiful because I have found, sorry, this is like totally different probably than your no, original question, oh, but I have also learned that you, there is an intimacy that is to be had in your relationship with Christ when you experience grief and loss, because he was a man that was well acquainted with grief. And what does that mean? Well acquainted. It means he was very familiar with it. And so, he, you know, Um, I was in Israel last year and one of the things I got to go to the garden of Gethsemane and actually wrote a little 
Instagram posts about it, but um, as I was walking in the garden, I just had this overwhelming sense of like God understands. And it's not just something that we as Christians can, you know, toss around like, yeah, you know, but like Jesus actually understands what it means to grieve because he, he had his best friend betray him. Like he had, you know, everybody in his life, he walked with men for so many years and they still didn't understand even up to the point where he was, you know, taken away and crucified. They didn't even fully understand everything that he was there for. So there was like this, there's so many things that he could have been, you know, grieving for. And, um, when I was in Israel, I just had this overwhelming sense of like in my brokenness and in my, in my, just in my deep grief of feeling like sometimes like I just don't know what to do with myself or I don't know where I belong or who loves me or, you know, am I, am I going to be okay? Um, I just, I felt like God told me, I just had this sense of like deep companionship, like God knows and Jesus, you know, he cried. And so when I cry, you know, Jesus cried. (laughs) And so even in that there's like a deep intimate, um, there's an intimacy that we can get in our relation that we can receive in our relationship with Christ because he is a God of compassion too. And he is compassionate on us. And it's in those broken places that he really, he can come in and just, I don't even know how to articulate it, but there is just a keen sense of intimacy and friendship that we can receive even in our brokenness because he knows and he can yeah. enter into that place with us. Yeah. Yeah. Like David said, um, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted mm-hmm. and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Absolutely. Psalm thirty four eighteen. Mm. And I can relate to that so much. I feel yeah, like the level of hurts that you can feel when relationships are broken down. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, I'm experiencing that. Absolutely. In a sense. And it's like, wow, God, like I never thought I could feel this type of hurt mm-hmm. again. <laughs> like I, I I'm like, why am I back in this place once again? Mm-hmm. And like just going to him with it, it's hard, like you said, to trust him yeah. with those things. But yeah. if we believe who he says he is, we will faithfully continually go to him with them mm-hmm. and trusting that he knows how to heal our, our wounds yeah, and when to heal them. And he's, he's working on it actively, but like how that's going to manifest, we don't know. Mm-hmm. When, will we, when will it manifest? We don't know. Yeah. yeah. And that's the hard part, I guess. It's like, because for me, when I see people that are hurt, and I know people that have gone through deep things and I just like, I want, I want to be like, yo, just please just, just don't feel it anymore. Mm. It's not that easy. You know, it's not that easy. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of good stuff there. <laughs> Bring it, Nate. <laughs> that was good. Um, I just, there's a couple of things I was reminded of. One is that for the Christian grief is not wasted. That's good. So, write that down. and reality is like, we just want it to be over and that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, you know, yeah. if you are in a war and your leg got shot or something, you know what I mean? It's not wrong to, I just want the pain to be over. Like, can I get the painkillers? Can I get healed? Can I, like whatever it's going to take. And sadly, sometimes like it means an amputation and it means like, 
there's a sense of healing with some scars and ghost pain but it it isn't encouraging that in the midst of the grief in the midst of the pain that our grief is not wasted and it comes back you know to that verse in Romans that's very often quoted uh, Romans 8:28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and what's interesting is then it gets into for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified and like what's interesting is sometimes we just take that that Romans 8:28 kind of like it's outside thing but in the context it's talking about the context of our salvation that those whom God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that they might be justified glorified etc and so the reminder that hey this grief it's not just like something that happened and God was like oh hit the brakes let me figure out a way to make this work to your good but like in in the way that before you were born you know God had already predestined to conform you to the image of his son mm-hmm. like God has purposed this uh, grief for your good mm-hmm. and it reminds me that about how the character of God and the power of God are also powerful in my grieving Um, to one knowing that his character is good um, and knowing that his purposes for me are good his intent for me is good it helps me to know okay like the lord did not allow this to happen to destroy me like he you know he's not just out to just throw me into a pit and watch me die like his his purpose I know he says it over and over and over. It's for me to be conformed to the image of his son. It's for me to reign with him in glory. It's for me to be by his side for eternity. And over and over in scripture, it's pointed me to the fact that even trials are for that purpose. Mm. And so yep. that's helpful to know, okay, his his intent is always good. But then also his power to know that it wasn't that he wasn't powerful enough to save me from this particular difficulty or for this thing not to happen. And so then obviously that can throw you into a spiral of questions of like, well, why, 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 why? And then, and I think that's when it comes back to intent because in, in reality, like when people recognize, okay, he's powerful enough, then why does he allow it to happen? And then we have to come back to intent. His intent for us is good. And it's that those who he justified, he would also glorify. And what's yeah. interesting, Anna, as you bring up Jesus and his suffering, it's one of the things that I think blows my mind about the New Testament and just the fact that it's the the structure of the kingdom is so opposite of everything that this world promotes. Yeah. As Paul tells yeah. us, we will reign with Christ if we also suffer with him. And there's this, yeah. in the New Testament, like, there is glory in suffering. And it's not that you seek suffering, you know, like it will no, come. We're not sadistic. We all know. Yeah, we don't need to be sadistic. That would and, be like, bad. Seek suffering. And I think sometimes as Christians in a Western world where there's not quite as much persecution as 
other places. Sometimes we feel tempted to feel that, like, oh, am I suffering enough? You know, but the thing is, like, our suffer our suffering is not wasted. Our grief is not wasted in the in the hands of the Lord. So then maybe we should take on that attitude as well and, like, not let our grief be wasted. And I can think about different things. It's just been hard for me in the past year or two and seeing how the Lord's intent was to humble me. And so much, so often I could be like, okay, I get it. Like, I get how this is working for my good. Did it have to happen this way? And what's, yeah. right. what's interesting is like grief and suffering and in a certain sense, they, they crush you. Like, and there's a crushed, like a crushed olive and it brings out the oil and it brings out something beautiful, but also it brings out the sin and the unbelief. And I just know, like, sometimes these difficult things have brought on me things that I didn't see, things that other people haven't seen. You know, people are quick to praise you. But then when you go through suffering, you get to see, like, what's inside. And you do see the spirit that is inside of you at work. But then you also see some of the things that God's trying to pull out. And when Isn't you, that you, the truth? When you respond, like, <laughs> oh, does it, did it have to happen this way? It shows, like, that's there's a lack of trust, right? You know? Um and sure, that's, that may be a natural response, but it shows, oh man, like there's still humbling to be done. There's still faith to be grown. And on the other side of this grief, of this particular trial, my faith will be grown. And perhaps there will be another one that will grow my faith in another way. Um, but all that to say, just like the way that suffering is so intricately a part of the Christian life, not haphazardly, but purposefully, should be shown to us in our Savior. Like we're supposed to be conformed to His image, right? And so, what was it like for a perfect, perfectly righteous man to live on the earth? Well, as Anna said from Isaiah, he was a man of sorrows. You know, so we shouldn't be taken by surprise by these trials, as as Paul says. So yeah, and if we see that that was the model for the perfect man of like what it was like to live in the sinful world, then it can bring us comfort that, okay, like this is not abnormal, but then also the one who loves my soul experienced these griefs as well. He lost a friend. Like think about Lazarus, that passage in John, like gets me every time. Even Jesus knowing he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, it was still grieving and he wept. So yeah, what a beautiful example like we, we have in, in the Lord. Not only an example, but also knowing like the sovereign power of the Lord uh, in our grief and his, the fact that he's not taken by surprise brings us comfort that he can strengthen us in the midst of it. Yeah. And I also That was love, good. Yeah, that was really good. Mic drop, Nate. Um, one also just thinking about how for me, I just do the things that I've experienced and, you know, it is really humbling. And I like that you pointed on that, Nate, how grief does crush us. Like it really, it pushes us sometimes to the point, like beyond the point that we think we can endure because, you know, that loss is so great or, um, and so for me, just going back again to like, there is a place for grief because, you know, Jesus, like you said, he, he grieved. Um, but for me, one thing that God has really encouraged me with is that the verse from first Corinthians, uh, sorry, second Corinthians one, 
just talking about how God is the God of compassion and all comfort who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Yeah. And how one thing that I've actually seen as fruit, which has come out of my grieving that I did not even expect was how God's opened doors for me to talk to people about the hard things that I've, that I've lost because Mm -hmm. of that. And because of that, I've cried with people where before I would be like, Oh, I'm really sorry that that was, you know, painful for you. But I've been moved to tears because I know, I know what they're feeling and I've walked with people and I've gotten closer with people that I would not have, you know, even talked. I've had people on the internet, like send me messages of like, wow, I, you know, I really related to this thing that you shared about and, and how it's not just me knowing Christ in a deeper way, but I've also seen God using that beyond what I, what I expect him to do in my life. And he's, he's touching other people through it. Mm -hmm. And so again, just even as we're, you know, pressing forward, recognizing that it is difficult and it's okay that it's hard because it is a part of our life. Like the earth, like it's fallen and this isn't our home. This isn't where we're, this isn't our final destination. Um, no. So it is, it is a really hard part of this world, but in the midst of that, like God can also use this, this time of brokenness, like, like needs set to reveal what's in our hearts but also to draw us closer to himself, but then also to reach out. And, you know, Nate, you referred to like the olive being crushed. And when it's crushed, it is the most, it's the most poignant. Like that's when the scent and the incense, like it becomes the most beautiful and the most useful. And Mm -hmm. so in Mm -hmm. those times of weaknesses, you know, God is also made strong in our weaknesses. So just this really cool, like this picture of like, hey, it's okay that we're grieving and God walks with us through grief and we, sh- it shows us, you know, what's in our heart, but also like there's salvation and there's grace for that, but also like expect fruit to come from it too. Like we can expect God even to use our grief because he is working all things for his glory. He can even use what we're going through to bless people or to speak to people or even, you know, bring people into the kingdom further down the road because of what we're going through now. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I liked um, what Nate brought up as well. Like it reveals the spirit, you know, working, but it also reveals our nature, our sin nature. And like I mentioned earlier, for me, like I had a tendency to just be the good kid, I guess, growing up. Like, oh, I'm just a good kid. Uh, my struggles were always, I'm able to hide, you know, my stuff. I'm like, I can hide everything. Not really, but I, you know what I mean? As much as I humanly possibly can, I can. Mm-hmm. And then this remind, like this revealed in me my true desires, like my sinful ones. And I was like, ooh, this is ugly. This is really, this is really ugly. And, and to me, that's a red flag. It was a red flag. Like, okay, nope. This is why you need to continue to run to Christ in the midst of your grief and not look towards the things that you already know are going to produce death Hmm. and that that to me was just a wake-up call like okay no more playing like there is no time to be playing with sin Mm. there's no time to play with grief like it's like it's a toy like this is a real thing that you have to work through and for me i guess a part of it is actually acknowledging the pain i feel Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good part being 
open about it because I suck at, like you said earlier, you said you're not really good at identifying your feelings. Mm-hmm. I was just on the on the counseling session on Friday and I yesterday and I was like, I don't know how I feel. And my counselor's like, well, okay, well, we got to work on that then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I really don't know how I feel. Come to find out a lot of my feelings is anger. Like, I feel a lot of anger about things that have happened. I feel anger about how I've been treated by certain people. I feel anger about how my family has been treated. I feel anger about how my father died. Not that his death was making me angry, but like the fact that he died and left us with a mess. I feel anger about that. I'm like, I'm angry. My anger doesn't manifest how other people's anger does. (laughs) It just manifests in a very different, weird way. And I, I have to work through it though. I need to be honest and be able to have conversations with people and take it to the Lord ultimately. But um, I was sharing with Nate and Macklin, I think the other day, like for me, when I have had moments of falling into sin have been when I have been concealing it. Mm. I've been walking through it alone. I wasn't being held accountable. And the times that I've had victory over sin are the times that I've always been open about where I was struggling and where I've been you know, short. And so I guess for me, I'm learning through my grief, it is best to not live in the shadows. It's best to live open and say, hey, checking on me. Mm. Hey, ask me how I'm doing. Like invite my brothers who know what I wrestle with and who know, you know, my patterns into that part of my life. Because if we don't, if we're not intentional, We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be truly, like, successful in our grief process. Mm. Mm. And, and that's not to say that you are, you will be, you know, less of God's child. But I was just telling my counselor, like, I don't want to just grieve and just be average. I want to excel in life. I don't, I want to excel. Like, I want to do well mm. and be able to bless others mm. from my story. Yeah. And that can only happen if I'm willing to be open and honest and truly seek healing, mm. which can honest, ultimately be found only at the feet of Jesus. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, you know, it was interesting in like First Thessalonians 4 and Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church about the resurrection and obviously there's been some kind of like false teaching or something, or people are confusing them about what's going to happen in the end times. And, you know, Paul's to clarify things. He says to them in First Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Um, and it's not a... Uh, that you may not grieve at all, you know, like as if grieving yeah. <laughs> is not uh, Christian, uh, but it's like that you may not grieve without hope. Um, yeah. Like there, because grieving is Christian and there's even a Christian grief in a sense. It's not about the presence of grief or not, but it's about how we grieve. And I think you, in the life of Paul, you even see him, grieving when he talks about people who have left him and he talks about Demas who just left him for the world, the pleasures of the world. And Paul says he's literally in tears thinking about it. You know, that causes great 
grief. And so, and I think this is particularly poignant for losing someone, you know, is that Paul doesn't say, so that you may not grieve, but so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. It's like, here is a hope. And he lays out for them yeah. how none of us are even going to rise until the dead rise first. Um, and so when we think mm-hmm. about loved ones who have passed, or when we think about the church and those who, like it speaks of in Revelation, those who have been like beheaded for Christ, those who have suffered, mm-hmm. and who knows, maybe <laughs> some of that has already happened, and so maybe some of that will be us. But like, there's such an honor even to think about they will rise first. And if you were to think, if Christ were to come today, the glory of seeing all those who uh, we may grieve over in the body rising first, those who have gone before, those who have have passed on, um, but then also those who have suffered for Christ the most, they will rise first to reign with Him, and then we will rise to join them. It's just interesting that it almost seems like the order events of events and the fact that the resurrection brings hope to the Thessalonians, or that's what Paul is trying to do. And then something that, like Anna, you brought up earlier, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I basically wrote it down as ignored grief. Mm, yeah, 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 actually I remember, because you talked about certain things that, you, yeah, you kind of like skipped over for a while and now having to deal with. And yeah. yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about because sometimes we can just move on. And it's not as though every time somebody cuts us off in traffic, we need to sit down and have a powwow at home and like, you know, mourn over it. Yeah, I mean, we might. Who knows? <laughs> we might. <laughs> but and, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make it into that. But at the same time, I think sometimes as Christians, and especially in particular circles, we can ignore certain aspects of grieving and counseling as some kind of like outside peripheral things that okay maybe that's you know maybe that's good but that that's emotional stuff we just need to look to christ whereas i think biblically you know properly grieving is looking to christ it's not just like i'm just going to cut off i just need to cut off these feelings and just like move on because i think sometimes we can think everything is fine when we've ignored things that are still affecting our lives like they still affect our habits they still affect the way that we think they still affect sometimes like some something that triggers us like you were saying when you saw somebody that looked looked like someone um in that that caused deep pain immediately and i think when we see those things we can't just ignore that and treat that as holy or right or just yeah. like well it's it's better just to ignore it because i think we can try to blanket things with the fact sometimes that we've been saved and born again and not really acknowledge mm-hmm. how the Lord intends to sanctify us through walking through those issues. So That's yes, really salvation is secured for us all at once, you know, when we come to Christ, but salvation is yep. also at work in us. Mm-hmm. And a part of that sanctification process is letting the spirit work in every area of life. Mm-hmm.